This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 6, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. It's not exactly clear if giving the Postal Service the ability to engage in retail banking is an idea meant to help rural and low-income Americans, or just give the Postal Service some quick cash. The idea is far from dead in the water, but those questions remain about just who would be helped by so-called postal banking. Diego Zulawaga comments. Postal banking, as it is understood today, would involve the U.S. Postal Service offering directly bank accounts to its customers. And these would be checking accounts in the same way that you can open a basic checking account at a bank branch today. Some proposals, such as legislation that Senator Gillibrand from New York introduced first in 2018 and then in this Congress as well, would also enable the USPS to make small dollar loans at a very low rate of interest. And I have my doubts that that kind of interest rate is commercially viable. So it would probably involve subsidizing it. But at the least, proposals for postal banking involve USPS offering directly checking accounts to people. You and I have our priors about uh, the notion of effectively a federal agency issuing credit uh, and making determinations about approving this loan versus that loan. Uh, but there is some controversy over that w- among the people who are advocating for postal banking. So what is the controversy over uh, whether or not a postal banking system ought to be one in which credit is extended to people? Well, the USPS has a history of providing some accounts in the past between 1910 and 1966. They offered what were called then postal savings accounts, based on the idea of savings bonds and money orders. And the experience there was, I think, mixed. Uh, I don't think the learnings have really transpired into recent times, but at least there is some historical experience of that. And it had to do with immigrants coming from countries that had postal banks and which would send money abroad at the time through the post office. So at least there's a precedent for that. But a lot of people question whether the USPS is in a position to do the whole process of underwriting and origination and securitization of consumer loans, which is part now of any consumer lending process. And I think those doubts are correct, particularly with the kind of interest rates that have been proposed. It would be very difficult for the US Postal Service to break even if you look at bank returns on these types of consumer loans and the kind of interest they charge. In addition to that, the USPS is typically more expensive to run because people are better remunerated in USPS than for comparable positions in the private sector. So there are a lot of doubts about how this could be made profitable. And I think that's what's driving the skepticism about consumer lending, even among proponents of postal banking. Years ago, when I was just a lowly journalist in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, I wrote a piece about the Postal Service forming what was termed a strategic alliance with Federal Express. Mm -hmm. That is, Federal Express and the Postal Service would have a unique connection that the Postal Service would not have with a company like UPS, which, of course, has a hub in uh, Louisville. And uh, that was bothersome. But to the extent that the Postal Service is actively in a process of competing for accounts, what does that mean for the marketplace in banking? Well, I'm not sure that the take-up would be very great. This is one of the reasons why I'm skeptical of postal banking itself. If you look at the reasons why we currently have 5.4% of households in America lacking a bank account, they are mainly 
account fees being high and people not being able to meet their minimum balances, but also people not trusting banks. Um, and it's not really about facilities where really the USPS would have a distinct advantage. They have 30 something thousand offices and because of their universal service obligation, they may have offices in places that don't have any bank branches, but that's not a big driver of being unbanked. I think people would see this as also a financial institution. And whereas I was saying earlier that immigrants used to patronize USPS a lot in the old days because they send money orders home and they purchase savings bonds and so on, they don't really use those services anymore. For remittances, it's private providers like Western Union and RIA and, and other providers that do the bulk of the business. And letters have also declined massively. So even if you just want to send posts, that's a lot less prevalent now than it was in the past. So the familiarity with the system is not that great in the first place. So I'm not sure that take-up would be all that very great, but this would probably be on balance, a loss-making service because you would have to train new people. You would ine inevitably have to hire new people. Um, salaries in USPS are um, arrived at through collective bargaining, which makes remuneration, as I was saying, higher. So all of those things would make both the fixed and the variable cost of operation quite high. In the proposals that have been uh, put out there, I'm imagining services like Cash App or Venmo or PayPal, where you can get a debit card attached to your account. You can, uh, I believe, deposit checks directly to some of uh, these accounts. Is postal banking, uh, does, is it envisioned as something that would provide uh, an app that is already largely being competitively provided? I don't think so. That's the misconception about the problem that is being addressed here. It's a very analog solution when in fact, most of the unbanked live in cities, most of the unbanked are young and they have cell phones and most of them have smartphones by now. And they're well connected. Uh, the idea that you can resolve the unbanked problem by setting up new facilities in places that don't have them is not very well targeted because that's not where the bulk of the problem is. Yes, we do have some rural unbanked people, but to give you an idea out of 20 million people who, or 25 million people who are unbanked right now, according to estimates, only two or three million live in rural areas. And the unbanked rate in New York City is higher than the national average, even though New York has not a single banking desert that is not a single area where you don't have a bank branch nearby. So the problem is completely different. And if you had something that was app-based and um, smartphone-friendly and fast payments-oriented so that people could actually get their paychecks quickly and not pay certain fees, then maybe there would be a case for it. But this is a completely different kind of approach. So what is the unique, other than the, the fact that the Postal Service does have a lot of these branches, what do these people pushing this believe is going to improve the average person's life? It's not very clear. It, for a while, people, people have taken the experience of 50 years of postal savings, which was a very different period, and not that very, success, they're very successful uh, because of several different reasons that I go into that I won't go into right now, but they've taken that experience and, and slightly mythologized it. I think um, interpreting the fact that we had USPS providing some basic financial services in the past as evidence that they can do so today, and I don't see much of a case. It is noticeable that most cases for postal banking focus a lot on outlining the problem, very little on the practicality of the solution, and they don't really address questions about how profitable this would be and whether it's addressing the sources of the unbanked problem. 
Sometimes some people would say that this is a way to try and bring new revenue to the USPS because the USPS is financially struggling and it has to prefund its pension liabilities, which are very large. And as a result, in with the decline of letters and, and the increase in competition from private providers, it's struggling. So it would be another revenue source, but that's not really a way to drive public policy if what you're really trying to solve is the unbanked problem. This does sound like an attempt to save the postal service and not necessarily a proposal to help people have access to services that <laughs> would benefit them. I think that's right. The the I guess the other problem is that we do have regulatory interventions right now that are making it more difficult for those people who refuse to open a bank account at a classical bank to do so. So you will have brands like Home Depot or Walmart or Google that are highly trusted by the public, particularly by the younger public, more than USPS. But they're not able to obtain a banking license according to US law. In addition to that, for the last 10 years or so, we have capped how much card networks can charge for debit card payments. And that has had the perverse effect of shifting more of the fee burden to a fixed model, to overdrafts, to account minimums. And that is regressive and has affected low balances more. So it's increased the reluctance of people on low incomes to open a bank account. So I, I think trying to address those issues first by seeing how you can address one, the trust problem that people point out as being a reason for not opening an account. And second, the high fees that people who don't keep a minimum balance face regularly to address those, I think would be much more effective and would probably have much less of an overhead cost than setting up a whole new financial services operation at a government-owned institution that is already loss-making. Yeah. How much of this is driven by the fact that, and there are probably some perfectly legitimate complaints about how banks charge fees. Uh, that was uh, one of the drivers of uh, some segments of, of Dodd-Frank was that you know, banks charge fees and people with low balances are the most likely to pay them. And they often end up paying those fees uh, on a monthly basis. Um, how much of this is an attempt, however crude, at ad addressing that problem? I think it is an attempt to do so. But people need accounts they like. They, do, they don't just need accounts. If you set up a bank account for everyone in the country, that doesn't mean that people would be better served. They might not use them at all. And in fact, they might worry about the privacy implications and other things associated with having a permanent record of your finances if ever they were to use them. So this is looking at some clear problems of the US banking system currently, but I think drawing the wrong lessons and not wanting to look at the source of the problem, which is interventions that have made it difficult for those who have more to pay more via their spending rather than those who have the least paying more for sustaining their own account. Diego Zuluaga is Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.